This is episode number 151, part two, answering your plant-based frequently asked questions. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, inspiring stories, and sports science to help you be better every day. And if you're just joining us, make sure you check out last week's episode. It is part one of the plant-based frequently asked questions where myself, a world champion professional athlete, and my husband, Matt Iwanis, who is also a very fast athlete, an amazing human, and also a very successful business person, talk about our experience eating plant-based diets and then all of the research that we've done over the last six to seven years to help you guys change your diet or just add in more plant-based foods. If you haven't picked up the Plant Power Tribe cookbook, that is my cookbook with recipes that I made. Go to moxieandgrit.com to pick this up. There's about 25 recipes there. They're all geared towards performance. They're geared towards being really easy and fast to make, and they're delicious. So I highly recommend checking out that cookbook. Thank you to those of you who have purchased it. It is an ebook, so it will get emailed to you immediately upon ordering. And also, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with your friends. It really helps with the growth of the show. And if you think that this information is valuable and that other people would benefit, the best thing that you can do is share it with them. And last, before we get into it, I just wanted to invite all of you to go to the Plant Power Tribe Facebook group on Instagram. It's facebook.com slash group slash plant powered tribe. And we have over 1700 members where we talk about plant-based diets. We talk about healthy lifestyle. It's more of a forum type environment. So it's not just me posting stuff. It's people sharing their stories, people asking questions, people collaborating. So make sure you go there if you haven't already. We will see you over there. All right, so let's make this quick. Let's get into the second part of your plant-based frequently asked questions. And again, if you have questions about any of the things that we've covered in this episode or the last episode, if you'd like to see where we got this information from, if you have additional questions that we didn't answer, I answer every single email that I get. So go to sonyalooney.com slash contact and send us an email. We'd be happy to help you. All right, so let's get into this episode. Welcome back, Matt. Hello, hello. So before we continue on with the questions that you guys have submitted, I will quickly go over the questions. I'm not going to do the answers, but if you missed the first episode, the part one of the plant-based frequently asked questions that we released last week, here are the questions that we addressed. How to lose weight, protein goals and sources of protein, including examples of protein sources, we talked about soy products and if they're healthy for you and what's the right amount of soy to eat. We talked about vegan iron sources, iron absorption, how much iron you need, heme versus non-heme iron, how a plant-based diet can help autoimmune disorders, how to overcome the social challenges with changing your diet, the argument about epidemiology with diet and also how to determine if a study is relevant or not and some places to find good plant-based studies what to eat on bike rides, and how it helps you as an athlete. So now we're getting into the second part of this podcast, and it is the rest of the questions. So the first question is, or statement, I guess, is I love plant-based food, but always end up hungry when without meat for a couple of days. I feel like I have to eat huge amounts of food and to not be hungry again in two hours. 
So the person is saying that it sounds like they're saying they don't want to have to eat every two hours. Otherwise, they end up hungry. Now, this is interesting because before I changed my diet, I still ate every two to three hours because of metabolism from exercise. But Matt, we were discussing this question earlier, and he had this really great analogy that I want him to talk about. Yeah. So again, because the food that you're eating is really clean and you don't have all kinds of excess fats and all kinds of nastiness in there, basically, your body uses it really efficiently and you do need to eat more often. And there's no two ways about it. So the upside is you're going to eat more than you've ever eaten, bigger amounts and more frequently. So my analogy is it's like a campfire for those, those of you who have been around a campfire. When you're making a fire, and you use kindling or small pieces of wood, and it's dry, they burn really fast, really efficiently, and really quickly. And at the end, if you don't add more wood, it's just ash, there's nothing left. So to keep that fire going, you gotta keep on putting on lots of little pieces of wood. So to slow that down, you put on big pieces of wood. Well, if you put a big, huge log on there, it slows the fire down completely, and eventually the fire goes out, and you're probably gonna have a big chunk of unburned, charred wood left. And that's what eating animal products does to your metabolism. It's putting this big lump of, you know, fuel in there that's slow burning and not efficient and has all this residual or residue there. So that's why you don't need to eat every two hours. But as a plant-based eater, you're putting those really clean pieces of firewood on there. They're burning really quickly. And if you don't restock them, the fire goes out and you get hungry. So your metabolism is going to increase. You're going to have to eat more. So embrace it. Enjoy the fact you get to eat a lot and uh, yeah, be prepared to eat more frequently. Yeah. And this person also mentioned they're eating huge amounts of food. If you're looking at your portion size being the same as whenever you're eating animal products, then you're probably not eating enough. The portion size is bigger. So that's awesome. And actually we get into even more about that pretty soon. Yeah. The, one of the funny things is depending on the restaurant, again, most restaurants are getting really great at embracing uh, complete plant-based menus. But uh, every now and then we'll go to a restaurant and have a plant-based option. It'll come out as the same size as the animal-based meal. And in the nicer restaurants, they have usually smaller portion sizes. So all of a sudden you have a diminished tiny plate of plant-based food. It's like face palm. Like, bam, we are going to starve. There's no food here. Okay, so the next thing is someone asked about recipes in meal plans since protein and carbs are not coming from the usual sources. So the first observation is that the carbs are probably still coming from the usual sources if you're eating whole grains. So sources of carbs would be like brown rice, kamut berries, which we just started eating, and they're awesome. Quinoa, pastas, you can still eat bread. Vegetables. Yeah, fruits. vegetables, <laughs> potatoes. Yeah, so like your carbs. Anything other than meat if you're a carnivore. Yeah, your, your carbs are probably going to be the same. Sources of protein, I recommend going back. We talked for quite a long time about protein and gave a bunch of different examples in the last episode, part one. So we talked about like calories, though, because a lot of times people don't have nowhere to find sample menus with calories. So if you get Brenda Davis's book, she's an amazing world class vegan dietitian. She speaks all over the world. Like she's currently in London and then she's going to Iceland and then she's going to like Saudi Arabia. Like she goes everywhere talking because everyone in the world wants to hear about her expertise. So her book, Becoming Vegan, it is awesome. You should pick it up if you're interested in anything about eating plant-based. But she has sample menus in her book. So she has like a 2000 calorie menu, a 2500 to 2800 calorie menu and a 4000 calorie sample menu. Many vegan cookbooks have sample three to seven meal plans for that amount of days. Cookbooks we recommend Oshi Glows, Thug Kitchen, Chef Chloe, Veganomicon. You can Google vegan meal plan, but basically like 
almost any cookbook you're going to get is going to be pretty good. So whenever I look at my plate for a meal, I look for whole grain of some kind, a few types of vegetables, a legume or a tofu or a tempeh, and then sometimes I'll make a sauce. So like, it's pretty simple. That's what I end up eating most of the time. Another great resource is Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen app. It's free and it just tells you like how many servings of legumes or vegetables or all these things you need to be eating if you're worried about eating a well-rounded plant-based diet. Yeah, I like the app because it tells you every day what to aim for. So regardless if you've eaten out or you've made your own food at home, it sort of keeps you on track. It's actually quite difficult to get everything to get a perfect day because he's got everything in there from how much exercise you should have to how many glasses of water you should be drinking, all kinds of good stuff. So check out the app. It's, it's a great resource. One way that it's really easy to get in a lot of these different servings of things is stews are a really great way to do this because a lot of stews have a bunch of different types of vegetables in them and they have spices and they have beans. So that's a great way to check off a bunch of those things. Another great way to check off those things is a salad. And another is a green smoothie that is primarily made of vegetables with some fruit and even like soy milk in it. Yeah. And even adding ginger and turmeric and those kinds of things to your smoothies can be a nice addition. And there are some smoothie recipes in my Plant Power Tribe cookbook. So if you want some smoothie ideas, check that out. So here's another question. Even with some research, I've tried the switch for over twice for 40 and 60 days. And each time I gave up simply due to not having enough energy to ride and run. First of all, I think it's awesome that this person has tried for 40 and 60 days each. And I'm glad that they've sent this question in. One of the biggest challenges for vegan athletes is getting like a lot of times people don't eat enough calories. Caloric intake should be about the same as what you're eating before. But to get that number of calories, since a lot of whole food, plant-based foods are lower in calories, you'll just need to eat more of it. An easy way to add in more calories is adding in more nuts and seeds. Another strategy is liquid calories like smoothies. You can put tons of stuff in your smoothies and you can get in more food quicker because it's a liquid or also eating like lower glycemic index foods like pasta. Another interesting thing is that people think that everybody needs to eat the same amount. And like, I'm a smaller person than Matt. And Matt is actually not like your typical cyclist body build or build. So Matt, I'd love for you to just if you can tell people like about your food intake and like your size and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people or some people may change their diet thinking about trying to lose weight, which is a nice side effect, to be honest. Like definitely when I changed my diet, I saw that happen. But my goal has never been to be extremely skinny. Like I'd like to be lean and who wouldn't, but my goal isn't to be the lightest, thinnest person I can be. I want to be able to, I play other sports. I want to be strong and muscular and, and all those things. So I have no problem with the minimal amount of effort, either, you know, just doing body weight stuff or, or weight stuff, I put on size really quickly because of my diet. Lots of protein, lots of availability for building muscles, etc. So yeah, that's, I've never really struggled with managing my weight since I changed my diet, either gaining muscle or maintaining leanness. Again, like anyone else, if I eat processed foods, then bad stuff happens, I gain weight. And uh, processed foods and alcohol, those are the two things I need to focus on if I really want to be fit and healthy and lean. But other than that, yeah, the uh, physiology is, it's easy to look and perform like, quote, a normal person. I don't look like professional endurance athlete, and I don't want to, to be honest. <laughs> okay, so the next question is, what are the most powerful motivational factors that contribute to convincing people to start and then really stick with it? So 
people come from kind of different areas whenever they're changing their diet or even this is a good point to say you don't have to go 100%. It's not all or none. Just eating more plant-based foods is going to make you healthier, period. So we're not saying that, hey, you got to give up meat and dairy forever and eggs. Just eat more like this and you'll feel better. And if you want to go 100%, then go 100%. But people usually come from, Matt and I both came from the health perspective and we saw all these different studies showing that you can prevent and reverse many, many, many diseases. Other people come from an environmental impact. There is a massive environmental advantage to eating a plant-based diet. And I'm currently working on getting an expert in that field to talk about it on this podcast because I'm certainly not an expert with facts and figures. But watch Cowspiracy. That show has a lot of really awesome tidbits because a lot of the food that's grown that where they're chopping down the rainforest or where there's a lot of pollution is to grow the food for the animals. It's not even necessarily from the animals themselves, but it's a lot of space to grow food to feed all these cattle and all of these animals. The third is animal cruelty, and that is another huge reason why people change their diet. Going back to the Crush It Monday from two weeks ago, I talked about willpower and self-control. So this is with the stick with itness part of the question. And the interesting thing is, number one, if your why is a strong why, it makes it easier. But number two, there is a component of mindfulness and thinking about how you feel while you're doing the thing that you're trying to change. So if you think about how you feel while you're eating and after you ate and asking yourself why you're doing this, then eventually you don't want the other stuff. And it was interesting because Matt and I were just talking about this earlier today. Like we've been eating at home and cooking at home a lot more, particularly because in pregnancy, I'm just keeping a closer eye on all of my different intakes. And whenever you eat out, there tends to be less nutrients in the foods, like there's less, there's just the foods aren't as healthy. There's more processed foods. So we're just talking about how good we feel. You feel amazing after you eat a plant-based meal. And there's been the odd time where like, there's been like cheese that shows up on something you ordered or whatever. And you just feel like crap after you eat that. And you realize like, wow, that's how it normally was for me. And I just didn't know the difference. Yeah. Again, when you're mindful about the way that you feel, you start to be able to pick out both the positives, how great you feel versus the negatives. And again, I don't know if it was just lack of mindfulness before, but it's a massive dichotomy. If you eat a great, even if it's whole foods, plant-based at home versus highly refined plant-based elsewhere, not to pick on any of the new, you know, and more popular burgers that are out there that are plant-based, they're still really highly refined. And after you eat one of those, you feel it. You feel it's like it's, it's heavy, kind of not great feeling versus when you make your own homemade burger, without all that processing going on, you feel very, very different. Yeah, just focusing on how good you feel and that you're doing something good for yourself. That'll help you stick with it. And also, if you can, surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded. One of the questions in the last podcast was about social situations where people around you don't eat that way. But if you can surround yourself with other friends who are, they don't even have to be plant-based or vegan, but just who really value health and exercise it truly does affect how you make your choices and habits. I read this statistic. It was two different ones. It's like one, if you know someone who's divorced or even someone divorced that lives on your street, it makes you more likely to get divorced. And also if there's someone obese that you know, it makes you more likely to be obese. So even, I mean, I haven't read the study. I don't know about the validity of that, but I keep hearing these different stats. It's just a good point that it's important to surround yourself with people who have the same values as you do. Okay. So the next question is, is it better to introduce going vegan all at once? So like turn on the light switch and the next day you're only eating plant-based or is it better to gradually do it? 
And I think that it's really personal and dependent. Like Matt basically overnight changes diet. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I did. I was all in. And the day that I changed my diet, I went through my fridge. I threw everything out that wasn't plant-based and low oil. So I really focused on especially reducing oils when I first changed my diet as well. So if it was spice with had oil in it, it was gone. If it was, you know, there was meat in the freezer that was gone. So that's the way that I did it. But to be fair, I took about a month doing research beforehand before I made that decision. And before I decided to go 100% plant-based, I'd already built my own meal plan for seven days. So I knew, okay, I know I'm going to eat for breakfast every day. And I had the same breakfast every day. I had about two or three different lunch options. I had two or three different snack options. And I had, I think, two or three different dinner options. And I knew with that amount that I could survive seven days. And then after a week or two, I knew that I would be able to find other things to add in there. But if I was confident I could do seven days, then I could build it up from there. So once I had all those resources built, then I was ready to just hit the switch. So that worked for me. And it's my personality. I'm, I like all or none. That works the best for me. And gradual just doesn't work for me. And for me, I did it gradually, mostly because I changed my diet in the middle of my season. I didn't know any other vegan endurance athletes, so I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen. I was worried about my performance decreasing or not being able to recover because I just simply didn't know. So I did it gradually where I said, okay, I'm going to eat like three meals a day plant-based and one meal not plant-based. Or like if I still really want like sushi or chicken or whatever the thing was, I was allowed to still have it. So I I set limits. I set rules for myself. And then over time, I phased out the animal-based products. And if you didn't listen to the last episode, my fear was funny because I was afraid of my performance decreasing and my performance actually increased. And if you're interested in learning more about other plant-based athletes, check out the Game Changers documentary. Okay, so the next one is about how to transition to it. This person says, I'm not known as a cook, but I am not against doing it. Sometimes when I buy a fridge full of veggies and fruits, they go bad. I was a vegetarian for seven months, but wasn't researching nutrition and was lacking so much. So Matt, you just started speaking about meal planning. So do you want to bring that up again and like how you decided what to actually eat? Yeah, again, I kept it really simple. I found a cookbook that I liked. What was Um, the cookbook? It was actually the Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook. So I figured, okay, well, I'm going to go the most technically correct, not the most flavorful. So I went to (laughs) (laughs) the medical literature to find a cookbook and I found one. And it was very effective in terms of getting the right amount of nutrients, making sure I was healthy. It checked off all the boxes. Again, I think I probably undercalorie a little bit. I felt amazing. It was great. But being an athlete, I needed a bit more calories. So I had to add in a little bit more of the nuts and seeds and fat sources that I hadn't initially added in. But that's what I did. And I would recommend that. Keep it simple. Find a cookbook and start off with seven days. Build a seven-day meal plan that you know you can execute and go from there. My mother recently changed her diet. She had a, I would say, a heart incident where she was admitted to the hospital and went through the ER and they checked her out. In theory, everything was fine. But in the last six years, obviously, has been in contact with me and and dabbled a bit here and there, but never really connected with eating plant-based. Her mother died of a heart attack and she realized, hey, if I don't change my diet now, there's a serious likelihood. I've had an incident already that I'm going to die of a heart attack. So she had some tools. She was motivated. And she came back to me and said, okay, Matt, I need your help. And so we put together the same thing, a very simple seven-day plan. And she's executing that perfectly. She's got her, her breakfast, some snacks, some easy lunches, a couple of dinners. And it's been maybe three months now. 
She's lost an incredible amount of weight. Her friends don't even recognize her. She's got- In a good way. <laughs> in, a, in a good way, yeah. She's vibrant, she's full of energy, and she's really excited. But she hasn't done a lot of cooking in the last probably 20 years. I mean, when we were kids, she cooked for the entire family. My sister had celiac disease, so she was used to making dishes a little bit differently, but it had been a long, long, long time. So it's really relearning, okay, how do, how do I make a recipe? And it's literally get a cookbook and read. Just literally go and read the recipe, put it together, and then don't be afraid if the recipe is bad to recognize it was just the recipe. Sometimes everything you make isn't perfect. Just because it came from a recipe doesn't mean it's going to taste good. So if you have made something that you don't like and you follow the recipe, just don't make that recipe. Go make another one. You're not a failure. So I know that's something that my mom's been working on is trying different recipes, finding one she likes, and learning how to move through the kitchen and substitute ingredients. And, and that just takes time. So keep it simple and take one week at a time. There's certain substitutions that might be confusing if you're brand new to this. Like the biggest confusion is actually nutritional yeast versus brewer's yeast. So whenever you see nutritional yeast, that is like not the yeast that makes your bread rise. It is completely different and you can get it in the bulk section. It's this like yellow flaky thing. So yeah, use that. Like we've seen her make that mistake. It's okay to make mistakes in the kitchen. It's okay if it takes a little bit more time whenever you first get started. I've always been someone that has always kind of cooked from scratch. So for me, it wasn't a big deal to just buy cookbooks and start cooking out of them. Also, there's an incredible amount of resources on YouTube if you want to see how people are actually cooking stuff. And having the right kitchen tools is also really important and really helpful. And that's typically outlined in the beginning of some of these bigger cookbooks you buy. Yeah, I'd absolutely recommend that. It sounds funny, but most cookbooks are amazing. They will take you through not only what implements you need to buy, but what basic ingredients you should have in your kitchen and then how to cook them. But most people just skip right to the recipes. So Take the time to read the intros and the information beforehand. It's really helpful. Again, when we helped my mom, the first thing that we did is we went and bought her all the kitchen implements she needed. And it's not a crazy amount of stuff, but simple things like a good knife, a good chopping board, food processor. I mean, actually, Sonia's cookbook, if you check it out on Plant Power, it's actually on Moxie and Grit, but her cookbook will go through the basic implements you need. I hope it does. I actually don't remember. <laughs> if not, any other cookbook will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. And also just planning time in your calendar to cook. And I have to admit that meal planning is something that Matt and I struggle with because of our travel schedules. If we're home on a weekend, we absolutely crush it. We plan like four to five hours on Sunday. That includes picking the recipes. It includes the time going to the grocery store. And then we cook a bunch of different things for the week and then we're set for the week. And that is super helpful. Now, whenever we don't, whenever we hit the ground on a Monday or a Tuesday, it's a lot more challenging and we end up getting behind. So we end up cooking really simply. Like we'll just, an example actually would be last night, <laughs> different circumstances, but we basically just made a grain, kamut berries. And then we had some tempeh that we made and we just said, what else is in the fridge? So we just made some broccoli. We cooked up some mushrooms. We threw it all together, threw a couple olives on top and voila, that was our dinner. So it doesn't have to be complicated. And that's a pretty typical bowl. And that's our go-to when we don't have much time. So you just make your bowl. And for us, tempeh or tofu, you just slice it and you dry fry it on a nonstick pan of some kind. If you want to put some seasoning like Bregs or soy on there, you can. But sliced, fried, you just steam some veggies, broccoli, maybe take a handful of greens out of a you know spinach or whatever, drop it on top. So you, And then again, something with a little bit of pungent flavor like sun-dried tomatoes or olives are really nice. If you want to add a sauce on top, you can, but that bowl can come together in 15 minutes and it's kind of the go-to healthy 
we've got nothing else in the fridge that we've made move and you feel great after and it hits all the buttons for nutrients. And another step with meal planning to make it easier, like unfortunately where we live in Canada, this isn't an option, but in the US, I know there's like, I think it's called like purple carrot or something where you can actually get pre-made or sort of pre-made plant-based meals where they'll like pre-chop all the vegetables and pre-do everything for you and even have like the recipe. So it shows up at your door. All you have to do is basically dump it in a pan and turn the pan on so that you can have food. And also I think that like Engine 2 Diet and Rich Roll also have their own meal planners where like they have the entire meal plan and you just push a button and it just shows up at your house and you have to mix it all together. So there's definitely ways to make it a lot easier if you live in the U.S. Next question is, since they aren't marketed towards vegetarians trying to get healthy, but instead marketed towards converting environmentally conscious carnivores from a health standpoint, how much better are the beyond slash impossible burgers than their real counterparts? i.e. like red meat. Now, this is a really great question. And the way that it was phrased is super true. So these are not health foods. Environmentally, it's better than eating red meat. But the answer is, we don't know how much healthier a Beyond Meat burger is than a red meat burger. And I'd love to stand to wave the flag and say, yeah, it's way healthier for you than red meat. But I actually don't know the answer to that. What I do know is that they are high in oil. They're highly processed. These Beyond Meat burgers, they might taste good. They taste like meat if you like meat. I actually personally don't like them because I don't like the taste of hamburger. They're they're a treat. It's fast food. It's not like health food, as this person said. So if you're trying to eat healthy, I don't recommend eating these. But if you're trying to just make a change and just not eat as much red meat for environmental or animal cruelty reasons, they're a really great substitute in the event that you want to eat fast food. I think that's a great point. One of the things that uh, I think I heard Dr. Greger say is, whenever you're making choices or wherever you're out eating, it's how can I make the best choice or is this better than? So if you're out and this is the only option for you and it's this or a a meat or animal-based burger, absolutely enjoy your burger. Or if you're going out for a treat, wonderful. It's going to be great, but it isn't a health food. So just be aware that it is good for the environment. It is good for the planet. It's good for animals. It's a better choice than meat. But if you're trying to be healthy, it's not health food. It's a treat. The next question is, what is the difference between vegan versus whole foods plant-based? Vegans, I'm not saying all vegans are unhealthy because there's lots of amazingly healthy vegans, but vegan doesn't preclude unhealthy food. So like if you want to eat processed foods, if you want to eat French fries, if you want to eat Oreos, if you want to eat Beyond Meat burgers, like you can have a really unhealthy overweight vegan because they're eating a lot of processed foods. Someone who eats a whole foods plant-based diet limits or doesn't eat any processed foods at all, meaning all the foods are coming from their whole sources. Um, They're eating like nuts, they're eating olives, they're eating whole grains like rice, quinoa, I don't know, anything you like. They're eating foods from whole sources. So that's the difference. And I think also too, there's another component to being vegan. So whole foods plant-based is very focused on health and being healthy. And vegan has that component to it. They certainly would prefer that you're whole foods, but you don't have to be. But they're equally concerned with the environment and with animal cruelty and animal rights. So being a vegan isn't just not eating animal products. It's not buying animal products. So leather, your leather seats in your car, your leather shoes, belts, eating things that disturb the environment like honey. It's it's hard on bees harvesting their honey. So as a plant-based eater, you would say, yeah, honey's no problem. As a vegan, you can't, quote, be a vegan if you eat honey. So 
the term vegan is a very, it's a very hard term to live up to. And those that do are very proud that they have. And they also can become quite offended by those who claim to be vegan, but aren't actually 100% vegan. So we're careful to say we are whole foods plant-based. When people ask us how we eat, we say, well, we eat like we're vegan because we eat like we're vegan. But there's a lot more to it politically, environmentally, than just being a whole foods plant-based eater. And that said, we don't call ourselves vegan, but we try and make vegan lifestyle choices as much as possible, but we haven't made 100% of our lifestyle choices vegan. So we don't feel that we should be calling ourselves vegan for that reason, just because there are people that go to great lengths to make sure that they are, quote, vegan in their lifestyle as well. Yeah, I think that what ends up happening is once you choose, and I think there's three ways that you become a plant-based eater or vegan. One is because you want to be healthy, which is primarily what we're talking about. Two is because you care about the environment. Three, you care about animal rights. And those aren't in order. Those are just numbers. Some people come at it from many of the vegans I've met come from animal rights. Some come from health. But what ends up happening over time is those three start to bleed together. So you start becoming more aware of your choices. If you started off from a health perspective, you become much more aware of the environment, your impact, your footprint. You become more aware of animals and, and how we impact animals and vice versa. If you're and passionate about animals and the environment, you start paying more attention to the health benefits as well. So they do all go together. We're just trying to respect those that are 100% vegan. It's a tough thing to do and something to aspire to. And if you're uncomfortable with labels, like you don't have to call yourself anything. You don't have to say, I eat 50% plant-based, right? 80%. Just say, I eat healthy. <laughs> like you don't have to call yourself anything. Yeah. I mean, from our perspective, I think any movement to eating more plants is good for everybody. So like, forget about the label, try and add more of these things into your diet. If you're, if you go all the way and you're all plant-based and all vegan, wonderful. But if you're not, who cares? Do your best. I have an anecdote that I just thought of just recently. So there's a friend of mine and he loves, he makes fun of himself for being like the fat guy who like eats unhealthy. It's just kind of part of his shtick. But recently he wrote this post on Medium and it was about the McRib, which I guess, I don't know, it's like some rib thing at McDonald's. <laughs> so he's always loved the McRib. He went through his entire history of the McRib, how his like profile picture was him with the McRib and all these things, da, da, da. And it was like really long. And I was amazed because by the end of this article that he wrote, he said this year he's not eating the McRib because the planet is messed up and he wants to actually take control and make a difference. So he gave up the McRib this year, which to some of you might, you might be laughing like, oh, so what? But to him, this is a big deal. It's movement in the right direction. So even if your like change that you're making is this, well, to him, it's not a small change because he loves McRib. But to me, you know, if you're giving up the McRib, that's awesome. You don't have to just never eat meat ever again. Even just not eating the McRib makes a difference. <laughs> yeah. The key message I think is that everybody can make a difference and even small actions matter. So do your best and try and make your decision. Is it better than? Can I make a better decision today? Okay, the next question, and I think this is a great question and I'm excited this person asked it. Can I get all, in all caps, all the essential amino acids eating only plant-based? This one we did quite a bit of research on just to make sure that what we're presenting was 100% accurate. So Matt, do you want to take this one? Yeah, for sure. And then again, please remember to go to the show notes because we will cite our sources so you can go and double check and look at your own research. So there's 22 amino acids that make up proteins and there's nine that are, I believe they're, they're short-formed IAAs or I believe individual amino acids. 
that you need. And there's this false concept out there that there's a complete protein and that only animals produce these magical complete proteins. So the nine amino acids are all derived from plants and they are in all plants just to varying degrees of how much they're in. And the only way that animals get these nine amino acids is by eating plants either directly or indirectly. And indirectly would be an animal that eats other animals. So again, the animals themselves are not producing these, it's the plants. So they are in plants, you can get all of them by eating plants, and it's just making sure that you get a diversified diet. And there's something about combining your protein, your amino acids that was popular for some time. Do you yeah, want to like take that one? complete or incomplete proteins. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but actually Brenda in episode two of the podcast, Brenda Davis, talked about how this was like some myth that was published in the 1970s that people just took off with. But basically, as Matt said, if you're worried about protein and essential amino acids, like all plant foods have all nine essential amino acids. Some have more than others in terms of like percentages. But as long as you're eating a variety of plant foods, you really, really do not have to worry about that. And you don't need to worry about combining one type of plant with the other because one has it and one doesn't. It's simply how much of one does one have versus the other. And if you eat a diversified diet, you'll get everything you need. So don't worry about, oh, did I eat a bean with a legume or they are the same thing, I suppose. But, you know, you don't have to combine. You can just eat a diversified diet and you will get everything you need. One thing that I want to say is for athletes, one recommended, so it's like take branch chain amino acids to help with recovery. And like a lot of the Goo Roctane products have that as well to prevent muscle breakdown, which I love. But one thing that I've seen repeatedly is taking L-leucine, which is one of the amino acids as a supplement. So that is something you can supplement with regardless if you eat a vegan diet or a plant-based diet or not. A plant-based food that is really high in L-leucine is actually pumpkin seeds. Oh, excellent. I think another point to, to talk about is maybe a little bit about when it comes to the protein uh, or amino acids in plants versus animals is bioavailability and the concept of absorption. So some people will say, well, you can't absorb it as well from plants. And the, the reason why they say that is because there's fiber attached to the amino acids and the fiber, when it goes through your stomach wall, pulls a little bit of that protein out. And so there's some debate over how much that actually happens, but it's very, very, very small. And if you're eating refined plant-based foods like tofu, for example, they're super high in protein and a lot of that fiber has been taken away and it has the exact same bioavailability as actual meat would have an animal product. So yeah, you might need to eat a little bit more protein from a plant source than you would from animal source. But again, if you're eating a refined plant source, that fiber has been removed and you're going to absorb it at the same rate. And I think another interesting factoid in there that we dug up was in a similar vein around bioavailability was omega-3s with fish. Well, I need my omega-3s and I need to eat fish to get the omega-3. But fish only get their omega-3 from the plants, the algae that they eat, and then it gets absorbed into their flesh. So again, you can just eat the algae and get more omega-3s quicker and easier, or you can get it through the fish, much like other animals who eat other animals can get their amino acids. And you can also get omega-3s from things like walnuts and hemp hearts. And in Brenda Davis's book, Becoming Vegan, she has an entire section on omega-3 versus omega-6 and all these different omega-3 foods. So I'll, I'll direct you guys to there if you want to go into detail on that. Yeah, if you want to geek out on nutrition just in general, whether you're plant-based or not, check out Brenda's Becoming Vegan because she just she has everything on minerals, carbohydrates, proteins, 
exactly how it works in food, what's going on in your body. So whether or not you're trying to become vegan or not, it's kind of like a nutritional Bible that's going to have everything that you're going to need. So it's if you want to geek out, it's definitely the book to do it. And she also has things for seniors in there as well. And that's something I don't think about very often because I haven't gotten there yet. But yeah, seniors have different nutritional needs as well. And specifically with protein, seniors actually have higher protein requirements than non-seniors. Can I say that, non-seniors? Uh, <laughs> but in the book specifically, Brenda's got chapters on vegan athletes, vegan pregnancy, seniors. So yeah, it's a great resource. I don't know if this was a joke or not, but someone said, what about the nasty taste? Of <laughs> 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 I'm not sure what they're eating exactly. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. If it's nasty, just eat something else. Like just yeah. make something else. But I mean, there is kind of a good point. Your palate changes. It does change over time. So That's a good point. <laughs> what tastes good to you now? Just think about this in general. What are the things in your life that you've had to, quote, develop a taste for? Maybe it's alcohol, right? Maybe you used to hate beer. Now you love it. Maybe it's coffee. I used to hate coffee. Now I love it. Maybe it's a certain food you never used to like, but now I've developed a taste, whether it's escargot or caviar or whatever it is, things that taste like ass. And then all of a sudden you eat it a lot and you think it's delicious. So your palate will change. Again, maybe you've tried some things that are, quote, healthy that you don't think taste well, but you might be surprised over time, how your palate does shift. And when you eat those foods, if you've changed your diet that you used to love, Sonia saw this, I think, with her cappuccinos. When yeah. she first changed her diet, that was the one thing. She's like, okay, I'm gonna transition in slowly, but I'm not giving up my cappuccinos to the very end because I just they're my special treat. I love them. So I remember she told me she was on a trip back to Boulder and we live in Canada. She'd gone back to Boulder to visit and she went to her favorite coffee shop and ordered her favorite cappuccino and had a sip and just like almost spit it up. She's like, this is disgusting. Yeah, I threw it in the garbage. I was really sad about the four bucks that I had just wasted. <laughs> and that was literally the last time I had a milk product that was like within three months of changing my diet like six years ago. Yeah, so the nasty taste just depends what you're eating, I guess. <laughs> okay, so the next questions were... Questions where I'm not an expert. So I, Brenda Davis is actually a really good friend of mine. It's awesome. Like she used to live in Kelowna and she came over for episode two of the podcast two and a half years ago. And I was so excited to meet her. And from that, we actually became like best friends. So that's like the best thing ever. So I can just email her whenever I want and just say, hey, Brenda, what do you think about this? So having like one of the world's best vegan dietitians at my basically my fingertips is amazing. So someone asked about phytates and anti-nutrients and phytates are like in beans. So I'm just going to read. She has a really long and awesome answer. Maybe address a little bit of phytates and where they've been sort of controversial and why maybe this person's asking this question. Sure. So basically like phytates or phytic, I think it's phytic acid, impairs the absorption of iron, zinc, calcium, and other nutrients. So basically it's an anti-nutrient. So sometimes people say, well, you shouldn't be eating that because if you eat things high in phytates like beans, then you're not going to be able to absorb all of these different nutrients. So here's Brenda's response. She says, phytic acid is the storage form of phosphorus in plants. Often phytic acid is bound to minerals such as calcium, iron, magnesium, and zinc in plants such as whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. Smaller amounts can be found in roots and other vegetables. The big concern about phytates is that they are anti-nutrients and can impair mineral absorption. While this can be a problem for some people, it is not nearly as big of an issue as it is made out to be. This is because phytates are broken down by traditional food preparation techniques. For example, soaking, sprouting, fermenting, blending, juicing, roasting, 
yeasting, whatever that is, <laughs> and exposure to acid, lemon juice, or vinegar all decrease phytates and increase mineral availability. So those, I'll say those again, soaking, sprouting, fermenting, blending, juicing, roasting, yeasting, and exposure to acids such as lemon juice or vinegar. So pretty much any way that you might possibly cook it. Yeah, like you're not going to- Or use it. Or, or even rinsing. You're not going to just eat a hard bean. <laughs> I don't know if many people have actually seen an, because most of us buy pre-cooked beans in cans, but a raw bean is like eating a rock. It's, impo it's literally impossible you to eat. You have to soak it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also in nature, sprouting releases phytase enzymes that break down phytates, releasing the minerals to support growing seedlings. When we soak or sprout seeds, the same thing happens. When plant foods are juiced or blended, their cell walls are broken, also releasing phytases, breaking down phytates and increasing mineral bioavailability. Phytases are also present in bacteria, yeast, and fungi. So fermenting often results in 50% reduction in phytates. Yeast has a similar effect on wheat, plus the acidity that results from sourdough fermentation, phytate breakdown increases to as much as 97%. It is interesting to note that vegetarians and vegans have intestinal bacteria that are far more capable of breaking down phytate mineral complexes than non-vegetarians. Many people don't realize that phytic acid and phytates have health benefits. For example, these compounds are antioxidants and have anti-inflammatory properties. They appear to protect against cancer by enhancing the activity of natural killer cells and stopping the proliferation of cancer cells. They can help reduce exposure to the colon or of the colon to iron, reducing risk of colon cancer. They may also help prevent cardiovascular disease by preventing hardening of the arteries. They lower a food's glycemic load, helping with satiety, and also they help prevent kidney stones. Plant-based diets are higher in phytates, but this is not a concern for most healthy individuals. However, vegans typically should not be sprinkling bran on their food we get sufficient phytates without eating concentrated sources like bran. Well, I've never sprinkled bran on my food, but... No, that sounds gnarly, actually. <laughs> yeah, so that's a pretty in-depth explanation of phytates. So basically, as long as you're soaking, sprouting, fermenting, blending, juicing, roasting, yeasting, or exposing to an acid, you're good to go. <laughs> I think you're safe out there. Thank you, Brenda. The next question, which is a question that someone's asked in Plant Power Tribe before, and maybe this was the same person because I didn't answer the question because I didn't know the answer. It was how to get enough protein without soy, gluten, eating beans. And Brenda said it is possible to get enough protein without beans or soy products or gluten, but it is more of a challenge for sure. If you tolerate lentils or dried peas, that is a huge boost. Lentils are amazing. Again, though, if you have a legume allergy, I actually think you can't have lentils. Otherwise, you would need to rely heavily on seeds. These are especially important with hemp seeds and pumpkin seeds being particularly helpful, probably largely due to the individual amino acid content of those that we talked about earlier and also the omega-3s and nuts, as well as whole grains and vegetables. And there's gluten-free whole grains you can get. Most whole grains, actually, that we eat are gluten-free just naturally. You would have less room for sugar and oil as you would need to focus even more on nutrient density. So it sounds like if you're really worried about it, it would be good to work with a dietitian or a vegan certified coach that could help you make a specific meal plan, but it definitely is possible. Okay. And the last thing I want to bring up is about vegan pregnancy. <laughs> I posted online a few weeks ago that I'm pregnant, which is, I was about to say exciting, but it makes me still feel a little bit like nervous in my stomach to even say that word. 
it's exciting for sure. And it's been really cool to learn more about the nutrients that you need as a pregnant person and also as a vegan pregnant person. So we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but basically you need about 25 grams more protein than you would need otherwise. We talked about protein sources in the last episode, so it's been pretty easy to add in more protein. I asked Brenda actually, because vegan athletes need more protein than regular, or I guess in sedentary vegans. So I said, do I need to add this 25 grams on top of what I'm already eating as a vegan athlete? And she said, no, but I can't remember the reason why. I can't remember either. I think basically the, my understanding is it must be enough nutrient passes to the baby that you don't need to increase it any more than you already have. Another thing, and, and this, again, this isn't just for vegans, this is for everybody. You need more protein. You need about 50% more iron, which is actually also easy to do. And you absorb iron better, especially during pregnancy, which I found fascinating. And as long as you're eating at home, it's really easy to be getting enough protein and enough iron. I found that whenever I eat out, a lot of the foods have way less beans or the types of whole grains or vegetables that I would use myself. So yeah, I've just been trying to eat at home more. Another supplement, and again, these are for everybody, not just for vegans, but DHA is something that everybody needs. DHA a lot of times can come from animal sources like fish oil and things like that. So if you're taking as a vegan, you're taking DHA supplement, make sure it comes from microalgae. And I take one of those every day. Some prenatal vitamins actually have DHA in it. There's actually some really interesting research about DHA preventing brain shrinkage. So as you get older, I think beyond the age of 25, your brain starts to shrink over time. So if you have DHA, that really reduces and almost eliminates that. I can't imagine having a shrinking brain is a good thing. So <laughs> apparently uh, DHA is recommended for everybody to supplement on a daily basis. And as another side note, uh, brain shrinkage, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. David Vago, which was a previous podcast episode, he's a cognitive neuroscientist, and he said that our brains start shrinking starting at age 21, and also having a meditation practice can help slow down the shrinking of your brain. Probably because uh, meditation practice lays down gray matter in the default mode network, which is like a bunch of different neural areas of your brain. There you go. There you go. More reasons to meditate if there wasn't enough already. Dang it. I just got to be able to do it every day. <laughs> I don't do it. I, I do it like intermittently. So I'm working on it. The next thing is an iodine supplement. And even if you're not pregnant, if you're a vegan and you don't eat any processed foods, like iodine comes in iodized salts and it comes in, I think, in animal products as well. But I know that vegans that don't eat, that are only doing like sea salt, that aren't having a lot of sea vegetables and um, are eating a whole foods, totally whole foods, plant-based diet at home, you're not getting enough iodine. So I actually have added in an iodine supplement. I think that I am getting enough iodine from my prenatal vitamin. However, iodine comes from different sources. And I can't remember what, there's two. The, the iodine I have, I think it's iodine from potassium, but I think it's iodine from seaweed vegetables. It's in my supplement, but we were reading about that online saying that that can actually be unreliable in terms of the amount that is claimed. Yeah. And also with the advent of sort of fancy salts, like you've got pink Himalayan sea salts and all kinds of different sea salts, there none of them have iodine in them. And the old school table salt, like the salt shaker you'd get in a diner, those are the ones that have iodine in them. So back in the day, there was no iodine issue for most people. And now with the advent of sort of more fancy salts, that was a really consistent way to get that in your diet is now gone. So yeah, just be conscious of that, whether you're pregnant or not. Yeah. And I mentioned sea vegetables. So if you get like a seaweed salad or you're having like nori or kelp or any of those things, there's going to be iodine in that if you don't want to take a supplement. 
Next, again, these are supplements that vegans take already, but <laughs> it's just a reminder. Vitamin B12 is something that is recommended as a vegan and as a pregnant vegan. I intermittently supplement with B12. It's not something I take every single day. And using the inside tracker blood test, we've, we've actually, sorry to keep plugging on my podcast, but like I had the marketing guy from Inside Tracker, Jonathan Levitt, on this show, and I've used Inside Tracker and they basically look at all of your different nutrients and biomarkers and just optimize it for athletes. I've actually had really great vitamin B12 and that's without having a regular supplement. A lot of nutritional yeast is fortified with B12. A lot of vegan foods like soy milk or nut milks in general, tofu, these things also have B12 in them. So you can still get it in your diet, but just as a fail safe, it is a water soluble vitamin. So you just pee it out if you're taking extra. Next is vitamin D. The majority of the population period is deficient in vitamin D. I need to do more research on this, but I think if you wear sunscreen, your body's not building as much vitamin D as it could from exposure to sunlight. So just in general, taking a vitamin D supplement is a good practice. And it's also a good practice for preventing cancer. I think one of your clients was telling mm -hmm. you about this, right, doctor? Yeah, absolutely. There's some research suggesting that higher doses of vitamin D is great for preventing cancer. I can't remember the exact details, but I believe there's a certain distance from the equator. The farther you get from the equator, the more likely are to be vitamin D deficient. And anyone in Canada should be taking a supplement apparently because we're far enough north of the equator and probably the majority of the U.S. as well. So yeah, I mean, it's just a good idea to add that to your supplement list. And the last is folic acid or folate. And this is in every prenatal vitamin. If you're pregnant, you should be taking a prenatal vitamin every day to begin with. So that kind of covers that base. But today I was just looking more about the specifics of the foods that I'm eating. And I eat a lot of lentils and one cup of lentils has 90% of your folic acid requirement for the day. So eating a plant-based diet, as long as you're eating from whole foods, you're going to be getting plenty of that. So you don't have to worry quite as much. It's more like the people that are not eating that way that might need to really pay attention because there's a lot of issues that could happen. Awesome. Well, that wraps up this two-part plant-based FAQ that we did. We recorded it all at once. So that was like a two-hour marathon of talking about plant-based. And of course, it's been two hours since we last ate. So we're pretty hungry. Yeah, hangry over here. <laughs> so thanks to Matt for being a part of this. I wanted it to have some dimension and not just be me talking to you guys. And it makes a lot more fun to include Matt. If you guys have any questions at all, please feel free to reach out. If you want to reach Matt, you want his response and not mine, still reach out to me and just say, hey, I want Matt to answer this question. I promise you I won't be offended. And again, join the Plant Power Tribe Facebook group. There's a lot of awesome people in there. And on my website, sonyalooney.com slash podcasts, there is a drop-down menu so you can sort through the topics of podcasts. And there's a plant-based topic so you can listen to incredible experts, doctors, athletes, nutritionists, people who have reversed terminal diseases, like everything you could possibly want, sonyalooney.com slash podcasts. So thanks so much to everybody for listening. Love you guys. Thankful that you're here. Again, if you're enjoying the show, please share it with your friends. Post a screenshot on social media. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which only takes a few seconds. And if you'd like to support my work financially, you can go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And even just like two bucks a month, three bucks a month, it makes a big difference to the show. We have an awesome staff that helps make sure that the show is up and running with two episodes per week. We have Roma, my audio producer, and we have Tina, my assistant. And of course, all the time that we spend making these awesome shows. So if you'd like to help contribute to the show financially, it's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. 
Wishing you all the best success in your training adventures, and we'll see you back here next week.